you know, maybe he doesn't turn out to be as good of a player as we thought coming into this draft up there with the Michael Porter juniors of the world, but he can still be a very impactful player. And I think he still has a ceiling of solid starting four. Welcome fellow basketball enthusiasts. You are listening to another episode of the Business Casual Basketball Podcast on the Blue Wire Hustle Network. Thanks for joining me for another installment of the Tears series, which is basically a season preview. Previously, I'd go through each team as a part of divisions, but this year, changing things up a little bit, going through each team based on the tier that it falls in, it's slightly subjective. But overall, going from the worst teams of last season up to the best teams uh, from last season, basically sorted out by where they project to finish and kind of where the direction is headed uh, as of this point in their development. So this week I'm I'm riding solo, but I'm uh, excited that you guys have decided to join me. Uh, The next tier up in this series is the play-in territory teams. Now, this tier, this group of teams it definitely encompasses a large group. Uh, there's a lot of teams you can say could potentially fall into the play-in tournament, whether it's a, as a result of a best-case scenario for them or a worst-case scenario. But in any case, it is a larger group of teams. So what I've decided to do is divide this group into two parts. This installment, this podcast, will focus on three teams of that tier, the teams being the Sacramento Kings, the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Washington Wizards. So just three teams for this podcast. And then the next podcast, I believe, we'll have four teams. Uh, and then there's going to be five tiers overall. So a few more weeks left to go in this series. And this week, we find ourselves in the midst of training camp, immediate day, storylines, drama. There's a lot to unpack in the NBA right now. And I'm not really going to get into all the drama and all the other situations like the Ben Simmons drama, things like that. That's for another podcast, another story. I'm sure there's a plenty of other podcasts you can listen to if you want to get the whole scoop on those developments. And this podcast is basically going to be focused on these three teams, a little bit of where they were last season, and then focusing on where they will be going for this next season, their goals, some storylines to follow, some players to follow, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I was off last week, uh, but back in action this week uh, with these tiers and hope to get these tiers knocked out prior to the start of the regular season. So might have to double up for one of these um, in a week, but in any case, we're here with another tier series. So let's dive right into it. So this is part one, as I stated initially of the play in tier series. And the first team I wanted to cover in this group is the Sacramento Kings. Now, as we know, the Sacramento Kings have been out of the playoffs for quite a long time, 2006, if you can believe it was their last appearance in the NBA playoffs. So If there are any Kings fans out there, I salute you. I applaud you. You're definitely some of the most passionate, loyal fans in the entire NBA, no question, because you've seen your team go through so many valleys, so many disappointing seasons. There was some hope in there. DeMarcus Cousins comes in, gives you a glimmer of hope. You get into some other great players. It doesn't quite work out. But here they are now, and they hold another excellent franchise player in the palm of their hands that could lead them into this new age of Kings basketball that potentially leads them to the playoffs, whether that's going to happen or not, whether it's just more smoke uh, and no fire remains to be seen, but they do sport 
a great franchise player, a great young talent on their team in the name of De'Aaron Fox. I like to call him Star Fox because he's on a trajectory which puts him in star territory. Now, he's a bigger guard, about 6'5", officially is his height with shoes on, and he's one of the fastest players, if not the fastest player in the NBA. And you go back and look at his numbers from last season, 25 per game, points per game, seven assists, three rebounds, are numbers indicate this guy is headed to big things in the league. Uh, In his third season in the league for 1920, he already eclipsed 21 points a game. Yes, of course, points per game is not everything, but you go and look at what he's doing on the court, how he's getting his points, how he seems to be just upping this game every season. His assists are going up. He has a great amount of steals, uh, about a steal and a half uh, for his career so far through four years. It really makes you think and wonder, like this is a player you can latch on to for a lot of great seasons, a lot of great years. The Kings realized how good this guy is last year. So after the 1920 season, they locked him up with a full five-year designated rookie extension uh, with a starting salary of about $28 million for this coming season for 21-22. So that starts at about 28 mil and it goes up by 8% raises each season. So going to 30.3, 32.6, 34.8, and then topping out at 37 million uh, in the 25-26 season. Now there are no options attached to this deal. So just outright giving Fox the five years. Uh, Some other players have the power to achieve a player option for that last year to give them a little bit more flexibility. Fox was not able to secure that. Him and his agent agreed on the full five years with no options, but that's good for the team. You don't want your star player to have an out after four years. As we've seen in the NBA, players have a lot of power, so sometimes they do find a way to make it out before that fourth or fifth year comes along. But that's a discussion for another day. Kings fans need to dwell in the now, and the now is trying to make the playoffs. I mean, 14, 15 years without a playoff appearance is a long time, so it's about that time for them to make a run at the playoffs. And how are they going to do that exactly? Well, the Kings have been pretty good at drafting the past few years. Not only did they draft Fox a few years ago, but they drafted this guy by the name of Tyrese Halliburton last season uh, in the 2020 draft, and he has been just as good probably better than they expected with him coming into the league at a young age. I believe he finished third in rookie of the year voting. He was fantastic. He's a great, well-rounded player. Another bigger guard, about 6'5", although he's lean at only about 185 pounds. But his efficiency marks are absolutely fantastic. He's almost a 50-40-90 player after one season in the league. It's really incredible. I mean, this guy is 21 years old. Um, This season, he's going to be 22 at some point before the season is over, but he shoots 85% from the free throw line, 40% from three, 52% from two. Some people out there don't like to use field goal percentage as a measure of a player's efficiency. So you go and look at his two-point percentage, it's 53%. So clearly Tyrese Halliburton is a player that you can reliably throw out there 30-plus minutes a night, and he's going to make great decisions. He plays a lot older than he is. He goes out there, he doesn't have a lot of turnovers, He doesn't foul a ton. So you you look at those marks and it's clear that Halliburton is a really good match next to Fox. So with those two guys in the backcourt, the Kings have definitely set themselves up to be successful from the backcourt positions. Fox, Halliburton, taller guards, they're pretty long. Uh, They're they're savvy, but they do their damage in different ways. Like Fox is one of the best 
rim penetrators in the entire NBA. He gets downhill better than anybody. He has a quick first step in transition. He's an absolute menace. Uh, he's very athletic. He loves to throw down some dunks to the left hand. Very reminiscent of a guy named John Wall back in his Washington Wizards days in his prime when he was going out there and just detonating on defenses, getting into the teeth of defense. Halliburton does his damage in a, in a slightly different way. He's not one of the fastest players out there. He's not super athletic. He's not going to dunk over entire rosters, <clears throat> but what he is going to do, he's going to, he's going to reliably run pick and rolls. You know, he's going to get into the teeth of the defense and make good decisions. You know, I wouldn't say he's an outstanding passer, but you know, Halliburton has a funky shot. There's some things that are just quirky about him, but it works. And for the Sacramento Kings, for the Kings fans, the organization, that's all you can ask for are players that just come in and know exactly how to play the game. So, you know, at 21 years old, he came in at age 20 when he was drafted. That is an excellent draft pick by the Kings. A lot of teams are kicking themselves right now, wishing they picked up Halliburton. And, uh, you know, he wasn't the highest drafted player. I mean, 12th overall. The Kings were not in the deep lottery. I mean, they were the back end of the lottery, and you secure a guy that is a starting caliber point guard right off the bat. Now, there are questions about his ceiling. How good can he be when he's 25, 26, 27 years old? Who knows? But at the very least, his floor is a good, competent, starting-level guard in the NBA. And you, I'm at, at the 12th spot in the draft, you can't ask for more. So kudos to the Kings on that, and they've definitely done a good job at fortifying that backcourt rotation when it comes to the starters. Now, that brings up another question. What happens with Buddy Heald? Buddy Heald was acquired via trade from the New Orleans Pelicans in exchange for DeMarcus Cousins a few years back. You know, Heald came in, he automatically just made his mark as a sharpshooter, a guy that come in and shoot near 40% off of catch and shoots, off of self-created looks, running pick and rolls, whatever the case is. I mean, he's, in the, he's been in the three-point contest now in his past but here's the thing about Buddy Heald. Does he fit with the future plans? He's 28 years old. He will be 29 before the conclusion of the 21-22 season. Do you want to ride with Buddy Heald for the next three to four years? Uh, it's, it's an interesting dilemma asking that question because Buddy Heald found himself in trade rumors prior to this season. So if we go back a few weeks back in the offseason, before Westbrook made his way to the Lakers, Buddy Heald was the player that the Lakers were trying to acquire for Kuzma and KCP, those guys. It would have been a good fit. You look at what Buddy Heald brings to the table as a 6'4", 220-pound guard, you know, playing the off-guard spot. He can handle the ball in spurts, but he's a pure sharpshooter. He has a career mark of 43% from three. When it comes to his two-point percentage, it, you know, it's not fantastic. He's in the mid to upper 40s. But that's not the point of Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald is going to reliably hit threes, reliably hit free throws. And, you know, that's that's his, that's his calling card. Just fill up the stat sheet, get you about somewhere between 18 to 20 points per game for the season on pretty solid usage. His defense, you know, not going to be great, but he's one of the best just knockdown shooters in the NBA. And that pays. It pays a lot. And you have to wonder, as the second highest paid player on this team behind Fox now, with five years of experience, how much more do the Kings invest in Buddy Heald? Is he really long for this team? $23 million coming up this season. The good news is he does have a declining contract, which I actually didn't even really realize prior to going to this podcast. But it goes down to $21.2 million next season. 
you know, 22, 23. And then after that, you're looking at about 19.3 million for 23, 24, no options, no ETOs, anything of that nature. So it is a positive contract from the standpoint that its value should increase because Buddy is not yet 30 years old. He's still a great sharpshooter and the value will go down. The contract value will go down over the next two years. That's all well and good, but you're still paying 20 plus million for a guy that may not be in your future plans. And the Kings kind of showed their hand to uh, the rest of the league when they were in discussions to move Buddy Heald. It didn't happen, but they were planning on making it happen as indicated by the rumors that are circulating around the league. So it's interesting to see what they're going to do with Buddy Heald. As it stands right now, he's a six man. I think that's the best role for him. It's not the best role from his perspective. He wants to be a starter. He's paid as a starter, 20 plus mil. You don't play 20 plus mil to your sixth man. You play 20, you pay 20 plus million dollars per season to a player that figures to play a lot of minutes for you, close games, be one of your go-to players, et cetera, et cetera. So not only do they have Buddy Heel to worry about, but the Kings went out and drafted another guard from Baylor coming off an NCAA championship that figures to have a large role to play in their backcourt as well. So this guy is named Davion Mitchell. Let, let me let you guys know right now, I'm a huge Davion Mitchell fan. He is my favorite rookie from this year's, this year's class, slightly undersized to 6'2", but he's 205, right? He's a stocky, steady, rock-solid guard with experience. He was the ninth pick in this draft from the Kings so it seems like they're doing some pretty good work when it comes to the latter half of the lottery over the past couple of years, but he's 23 years old. So he's, you know, he's three years older than Halliburton. He's just a couple of years younger than Fox as a rookie. So this is not a guy you're going to go, you're going to draft and stash, have him ride your bench, like a, like a, somebody that comes to like a bull bowl, you know, lanky, under, undeveloped, like a Kai Jones, somebody that's going to come in and just, languish in the G League for two seasons, like being like a two years for being two years away. That's not what you draft Davion Mitchell to do. At 23 years old with an NCAA championship under his belt, not to mention a very strong G, uh, a very strong summer league performance, you expect quite a lot for a guy like Davion Mitchell drafted in the top 10 of the 21 draft. So for Davion Mitchell, he brings an element to the Kings that I think is going to be very important, which is defense, toughness, discipline, the whole nine, that culture has to change in Sacramento. They can't just keep riding this wave of talent, talent, more talent. There has to be a change in the mindset and the culture of these players in the management. The Suns accomplished that as evidenced by their finals run in 2021. They got it done behind guys like Chris Paul, behind guys like James Jones with his awesome mind, awesome basketball IQ, Monty Williams, some of the best top-notch basketball minds in the sport. There's a big difference between being a talented player and a smart player. They're starting to find those smart players. Halliburton is a great start. I think Davion Mitchell is an even better building block on top of a guy uh, by the name of Halliburton. So they're definitely doing some good work when it comes to changing the culture. It seems like they're targeting certain players that have a high character about them, high IQ, low-maintenance, hard workers, I really like that from the, from the King's standpoint. So they've impressed me with many other moves so far in recent history. But the question remains, how do you dole out the minutes? Fox is going to get 33 to 35 minutes tonight automatically. 
Halliburton is in line for, I'd say, close to 30. So what does that leave Heald and Mitchell? I don't think either of them can play up a position. Maybe in short spurts, they go with the three-guard rotation. We'll have to see what the numbers say about that in the regular season, net readies and things like that. Uh, you have to have the right mix of players to make that work, like the Thunder did a couple years ago with Chris Paul, SGA, and Schroeder. It's possible. Maybe Halliburton guards threes, or maybe Davion guards threes, something like that, so they can bring up three guards at a time. But it doesn't seem like a, a lineup you're going to be able to rely on for significant portions of games. So it's just a big question that I have about this team, and we're going to have to see how you know, they kind of manage that. It's, it's going to be a challenge for sure. Luke Walton is still the coach there for whatever reason. I'm not really sure why, but here we are. Uh, Luke Walton still has a job, and he's still trying to navigate the waters of this team. If they don't make it to the playoffs, I really think he needs to be let go, and a new voice needs to be brought, brought into the locker room. There's already a lot of question marks surrounding uh, Luke Walton, so it might be time to kind of change the voice of reason in the locker room. But for this season, while he's still in command, the next question for the Kings comes to their depth. You're good in the backcourt. I think if you have Davion and Heald coming off the bench for a nice combination of offense, defense, it's a good place to start. But after that, who do you rely on to get you buckets, to get you stops? I'm not really sure. Tristan Thompson figures to be the backup center. It's not a bad choice. At the wings, you have uh, Metu, you have Harkless. I don't know. It's it's a little bit questionable. Uh, Damian Jones, Alex Len at the backup center spots. It's interesting to look at that. But the big X factor for this team, guys, the big swing player that can make or break this season is Marvin Bagley III. Marvin Bagley. This is a guy that was touted as one of the best names in the 2018 draft next to Michael Porter Jr., these guys are going back and forth on who mixtape, if you can remember. You know, his recruiting class, he was, he was number one in 2017 of his recruiting class. He was ranked number one. And I want to say MPJ was number two. Look at what Michael Porter Jr. has been able to do in light of injury concerns entering the draft, coming out of the draft. He overcame them. He got the opportunity. That's the key. He has to get the opportunity. He got that. And now he's looking at a max contract extension. That could pay up to $207 million over five years. So salute to Michael Porter Jr. He's going to be one of the best scorers in the NBA for a long time. I see him easily being over 20 points a game for the next eight years, nine years, 10 years. Who knows? But he's one of the very special talents in this league. But where does that leave Marvin Bagley? Marvin Bagley has great physical tools, 6'11". He needs to be a mismatch for other forwards and centers, not the other way around. It seems like he's kind of pigeonholed himself into a corner in terms of what he can offer on the court. His position on basketball reference is power forward slash center. What is he, though? What is he consistently from game to game? It doesn't seem like he's a center. You go out there, you get Rashawn Holmes. You pay Rashawn Holmes a pretty good amount of money, starting at $10 million for this coming season, going to 11 and $12 million. So not, a, not an incredible amount of money, but it seems like they intended to keep him around as a starter. So that puts Bagley at the four. What does Bagley do great at the four? Bagley seems like he's pretty nimble on his feet, pretty quick for his size. He needs to lean into that, but he needs to become some sort of shooter, and that hasn't manifested itself so far. Through three years 
it seems like his three-point rate has remained pretty steady. Uh, you know, he did break out a little bit last season, 34%, two and a half threes per game. I still have hope for Marvin Bagley. There's some guys like Dennis Smith Jr. It's like, okay, whatever, it's over. But I have one more season of faith left to go, Marvin Bagley. I haven't used it all up yet. I still think there's something left that you can lean on, which is the quickness, which is, uh, you know, if you can lean into maybe more of a ball handling role, uh, expand on that shooting, you know, become uh, a league average shooter, 36, 37% on three, four attempts a game. That's great for the Kings. You know, maybe he doesn't turn out to be as good of a player as we thought coming into this draft up there with the Michael Porter Juniors of the world, but he can still be a very impactful player. And I think he still has a ceiling of solid starting four or five, depending on how he bulks up the rest of his career in this league. So he played 43 games last season out of the 72. He still has injury concerns, but if he plays at least 65, 70 games this upcoming season, I think there's going to be enough of an opportunity for him to come in and make his mark. So he's not going to start off the bat. The starting four spot seems like it's still reserved for Harrison Barnes. Uh, Holmes seems like he's going to have the five. But after that, throw Bagley in there, give him some runs, see what he can do. I think he's one of your best prospects. Uh, there's still a lot left to explore in terms of his skill set if he's willing to put in the work and discover what he can do. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, but there is a lot to look forward to in Sacramento. If you squint hard enough, and you look at guys like Off Knight, a.k.a. Donovan, uh, Davion Mitchell, uh, Fox, Halliburton, Rashawn Holmes coming back uh, on a three-year deal. There's, there's some good on this team. I'm I just concerned about the depth. I'm concerned about how Bagley turns out and uh, how they manage the minutes in the backcourt. So uh, starts with Fox and ends with the, with the depth. That's as far as they'll go this season. We'll see. My projections, I still have them outside the playoffs. The play-in, I think, is a possibility for them, but a lot of things have to go right. And uh, the West is still a bear, so they're going to have to get some things right. Some guys are going to have to pop off for them, and then maybe they can get it done, but who knows? Sacktown has been waiting a long time for a playoff appearance, and they might be waiting a little bit longer. Next team on our list, we got to dive into New Orleans because there is a lot of drama, a lot of tension in that city right now. It's unfortunate for them. Because it seems like it was just a couple of years ago, they were dealing with AD sitting out games because he wanted out. Now they're right back in the situation again, and I feel for New Orleans fans, that organization, it seems like there's always some stress. Chris Paul wants out. Anthony Davis wants out. Zion's camp says he wants out, even though he's going into his third season in the NBA. He's not even eligible for max contract extension yet, which some people have said he will not accept. He will take the qualifying offer before he takes the max extension which that would blow my mind because people just don't turn down whatever hundred, two hundred million $200 million over five years. People just don't do that unless they're just sick and tired. You have to be Ben Simmons, kind of tired of a situation that to, to take the qualifying offer and get out of town as a restricted free agent after five seasons. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, Zion is coming off of a foot injury. A foot injury sustained in the offseason, which may or may not cost him some regular season time. He's doubtful to make any appearances in the preseason, according to reports. But this is Zion we're talking about, a freak of nature. Uh, I've read some medical information on his foot injury. Uh, it does look like there is a risk of re-injury with that certain bone in the foot. 
don't ask me to name the certain part of the foot, the bone. Uh, that wasn't my specialty in school. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't great at that. But what I can say is that the medical staff in New Orleans has been touted to be very solid and they have dealt with injuries of this type before. So they're well equipped to handle this injury. And they say that, you know, the, the injury timeline isn't too extensive if it happens in the if it happens in the off season. If it was the regular season, I have seen from Jeff Stotts and other people that it can cost up to 42 games. So it is good that it happened in the off season. So he has time to recover. He has time to kind of ease back into action because if you get hurt in the, in the regular season, what can you do to ease yourself back into action? Once the season starts, it just keeps going until it ends. Besides the all-star break, it's just nonstop, you know, barely any practices. It just keeps going and going, but in the, in the off season, he can ease himself back into it. So that is a good news for Zion and the, and the Pelicans. They can rely on that timeline to get it back into action. So Zion did hit all-star status last season. Pretty incredible. He's a borderline all-NBA player in year two. I've been one of the biggest supporters of Zion since he got drafted. I looked at his athletic profile. Honestly, something we probably haven't seen before in the history of the league. Maybe like a Charles Barkley comes to mind. But at 6'7", at that weight and size, being able to move like that, 200 and what, 70, 80 pounds? Makes no sense to me. He's still only 21 years old. Uh, you know, he's not going to be 22 for almost another year. It really is incredible. So looking at last season's numbers, 33 minutes a game is very encouraging. He got hurt in the offseason, but in the regular season, he played 61 games. He averaged 33 minutes a game. So eventually he got to a pretty solid workload, which Zion himself said he's a fan of. He's not a fan of the whole burst strategy where he comes in and he plays five or you know four or five minutes at a time and goes out for the rest of the quarter he's not a fan of that so we'll see how how they manage his minutes when he comes back but very solid percentages 62 percent from two he's a super efficient beast when it comes to operating inside the arc uh you know he gets a lot of attempts inside because he's a battering ram he's a wrecking ball there's not much defenses can do to stop him once he's getting going, similar to a LeBron. You just kind of have to hope and pray when he starts going your way. Seven rebounds per game, 3.1 assists, which is a healthy increase over his rookie season total. He does have playmaking chops, and the Pelicans leaned into using him more as like a point forward in spurts last season, as opposed to just like a, a, a dunker spot roamer uh, in his rookie season. So his role has changed a little bit, but it seems like he's kind of built for that. He has better vision than I think some of us really realized. And then, of course, with his athletic tools, he's going to be able to just create passing lanes that he can capitalize on. So looking at his usage from last season, 28% usage, 96 percentile for forwards. Very impressive. He handles a lot of the ball, and I think it's going to continue to go up as the Pelicans are desperate for a playoff spot. Zion gets better and better. He's going to command more and more of the ball as the years go on. So looking at his uh, rookie season, he played 92% of his minutes at power forward, 8% of his minutes at center. Now let's compare that to last season. He played 4% at center, 85% at the four, 10% at the three. So now you can see how his positional 
uh, distribution is shifting from front court to not quite back court. I mean, he played 1% at the, at the two, but his role is changing. You can see that and it's working because his numbers shot out of a cannon, his confidence shot out of a cannon. He's just an extremely just impressive specimen basketball player. Uh, you know, one of the most impressive in the world. And, you know, the offensive numbers weren't great when he was at the three, but at the four still very solid, you know, there's a, uh, efficiency differential of plus 3.4 per 100 possessions. So I think they're going to continue to experiment, putting him at the three and see how that works. But it's not so much as the position, it's just kind of his role in the offense. So he's going to be handling a lot more pick and rolls as opposed to just being a pick and roll roller. He's going to be, he's going to be more of a ball handler, which I think is going to be very important to his success. And his assist percentage went up by about 7% over his rookie season. So now he's at about 19% for his assist percentage, 89th percentile for forwards. Excellent work by Zion to continue to lean into his strengths as a playmaker. If he can kind of continue to balance out his playmaking skills with a scoring um, acumen inside the lane, he's going to be unstoppable, absolutely unstoppable. You know, at the rim, uh, his field goal percentage is still pretty average at about 67%, but if we go to his frequency, I mean, 91st percentile last season. So he gets there a lot. He doesn't finish extremely well, but man, when he does, it's just, it's incredible guys. It's incredible. But moving off of Zion for a second, there are some other players in new Orleans that are worth some talk or some exploration. The kill Alexander Walker is one of those names for me. That's very intriguing because last season towards the latter part of the season, he started to kind of find a rhythm. He started to find out what his true role is on the team as a 6'6 wing player. I think he's going to continue to lean into a role as a, a spark plug, a scoring spark plug. Maybe he becomes a sort of Jordan Clarkson type player. He's obviously not there yet, but what if that's his role that he leads into? It certainly looks like he's on track for it. He jumped, you know, you know he doubled his point production from 5.7 to 11 in year two. Uh, his efficiency was down from three, but it was way up from two. So he's scoring a lot more efficiency, uh, a lot more efficiently inside the arc. And then it's just overall, it just seems like he's going to become more comfortable as he gets more shot attempts. He shot 10 shots per game last season, as opposed to less than six in his rookie year. So, and his minutes were up by a decent margin. So I think as the years go on, he's going to get more comfortable. His role is going to be more defined. I think he, he took the first two years from to figure out that like, I'm not really like an on ball guy that's going to run a bunch of pick and rolls and dissect the defense. Like they have Davion Graham for that. They have Kyra Lewis for that. Um, Nikhil can really just lean into his strengths as a scorer, just attacking bent defenses and getting it to the teeth of the D like, obviously his two point percentage is increasing at a decent rate. Uh, his free throw percentage is increasing as well. Now he's in the seventies. So he's going to be better as a finisher, it looks like, uh, more confident as a finisher. So he's one of those guys we need to look out for. Maybe he can be in the most improved conversation. Maybe he could be in the six-man conversation. There's a lot of possible outcomes for Nikhil this coming season, and I can't wait to see which of those really transpire because he has a lot of tools, very lengthy player, great wingspan, great height. Uh, so he's going to be able to use that to shoot over some defenses 
and, and generate a lot of points. But he's a part of a guard rotation that's very interesting with him, with Graham, with Kyra Lewis, with, with Zadaransky, with Garrett Temple. Who plays the most minutes there? Starts with Graham, but after that, uh, Josh Hart. Josh Hart plays some three, so he's not really directly in that mix. But there's a lot of players that are just kind of thrown together and just kind of stirred together. And I'm not sure how that all plays out in terms of win totals for this team. There are some good players there, no question. But how do they fit together? And how good are they really when we're talking about true playoff contenders? I'm not really sure. Let's take a look at Portland. They have a guy named Damian Lillard. You, you take a look at even the Kings. They have Fox. You take a look at the Timberwolves, Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. Like They have some real proven guards on these teams, very legitimate guards. They can go out there and take over games. I don't really see that from the Pelicans. So when it comes down to my prediction for them for this coming season, maybe a bottom playing team, maybe a 10th seed. I'm not that high on them. I'm, I'm, I'm moderately high on them. I'm not going to put them in seventh or eighth, but I'm not going to put them at like 13th. Like I think they're better than that. If Zion comes back and he's, an, he's a world destroyer, he plays a good amount of games. Ingram is still an all-star player. His numbers last season were almost exactly the same as his all-star campaign the year before. Josh Hart brought back on a, on a great value deal, which I think is kind of underrated, to be honest. $12 million, And then the two years after that, the next two seasons are non-guaranteed. So you're getting a very solid rotation player for non-guaranteed money. Very uh, effective use of money, if you ask me. So I'm just curious to how that kind of works out. But what I am high on, or at least higher on than last season, is that center spot. Valanchunas comes in uh, for that trade. They get Adams out of there. So they're looking at Valanchunas to be another source of offense for them. Steven Adams, that's not really his calling card. He's getting kind of slow. He's getting kind of worn down out there. Maybe all the banging around. And his first five or six seasons are taking a toll. But you look at Valanciunas and what he brings to the table, I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed at his ability to stretch defenses here and there. He, he'll, he'll throw up a couple couple threes a game. I love how he just teases teams with that three-pointer. He goes up there and he shoots like two. He shoots three. I mean, he only averages about one three per game. So, like, you're basically getting one or two from him. Maybe a few games here and there he doesn't shoot any, but he's 35% from there two years, uh, two seasons ago, and 36% from there last season. So Valanchunas is definitely a capable three-point shooter. He's not a high-volume three-point shooter, but he can do it in spurts. Solid free throw shooter, 77%, 78% for his career from the line over many years. That looks like nine years now. He's a guy you can rely on to, to get some free throws. He can close games because he's not he's not a liability from the line. So he's going to go out there and get you. He's going to get double doubles, guys. He's going to go out there and get some blocks. He's going to get some threes. So I'm a big fan of Valanciunas for this team. I think it was a great pickup, a definite upgrade over Stephen Adams. You know, Valanciunas is still going to be a great, uh, you know, a great screen setter. He's going to be a decent rim protector. Nothing great. You know, a pretty good low post score at least when it comes to some of his peers that he's going to be play, playing against on any, any, any given night. And he, he can hit the occasional three. So not bad at all. Not bad at all. He's going to create some looks for Zion, vice versa. 
I think he's going to be a good partner for guys like Davion Graham who are good in picking roles. It's going to be a good, a good union. The question is whether they do after this season, because he is unrestricted free agent. So he could command a good amount of money if he has a nice season for new Orleans. So we'll have to see how that goes. And then one last question for this team is Jackson Hayes, his rookie season. I was so down on him. His second year, I was still pretty down on him. Last season, he had some flashes. He had some flashes here and there. A poster dunk here, you know, a, a, a good move off the dribble there, you know, a three-pointer here and there. Like Jackson Hayes is starting to kind of figure it out, kind of sort of, very slowly, but he's coming around. Like he's not this guy that's going to come out here, and I don't think he's going to be a, an amazing center, but 42%. 43% from three. I mean, he really didn't take that many at all, but there is a indication that he can shoot the three decently well. So that's definitely something left to explore with Hayes. The, the free throw is up to 77.5%. So with these big guys, you really just have to be patient. I think Kai Jones is going to have a similar situation to this, where his rookie season is like awful. The second season, you start to see a little bit more and then the third season, you know, and then the fourth, fifth seasons where you really start to see who they're going to be in terms of a complete player. So let's wait and see what happens with Jackson Hayes. He still only got to play about 16 minutes per game last season. I think they'll go up a little bit more. I think they have a little bit more faith in Jackson. And he's starting to kind of realize what kind of player he can be for this team long term. So one more team, guys. Let's wind this out. Washington Wizards down there in the Southeast Division. They made a huge splash this offseason. Westbrook is out of there, and they bring in Kuzma. They're breaking KCP. They go and sign Dinwiddie in this big sign-and-trade deal with the Brooklyn Nets. And then there was a tweet posted by my guy Jackson Frank on Twitter a few weeks ago, and he said, is Dinwiddie and Beal, are they the best attacking backcourt in the league? And people said, looked out there and were like, what are you on, man? Like." What are you talking about? Harden and Kyrie. And I don't have the tweet in front of me, but he posted a follow-up tweet with numbers on like rim frequency, uh, accuracy at the rim for all four players. So we're talking about Harden, Kyrie, Dinwiddie, and Beal. And the Dinwiddie-Beal combination was a little bit better. And granted, they used Dinwiddie's numbers from, I think it was 1920 because he didn't play in 2021. But... They're very solid. I didn't realize how potent of an attacker Dinwiddie is. I knew about Beal. Beal loves to get into the paint, even though he's a great shooter. But these guys together, I mean, that, that in itself is a really good starting point for your offense. If you have two guards, one of which is a really good shooter on top of that, get into the teeth of the defense and at least make some basic passes, that opens up so much for your other guys. So Kuzma's going to thrive off of that. KCP is going to thrive off of that. Um, Montrez Harrell is going to get a decent amount of lobs off of that. Like, there's a lot that can happen if you have two players that are that willing to attack and are that good at actually finishing when they do attack the paint. So I'm very encouraged by what this team has to offer in terms of those two players. Now, after that, I have no idea what to expect. Their wing rotation is interesting. With guys like Aaron Holiday, KCP, Corey Kispert is coming in as an older rookie. 
I think he's going to have some great moments for them. Maybe he's like the next Joe Harris. So if he's anything like Joe Harris, the, the Wizards are in great hands. Uh, their forwards are very intriguing between Kuzma. Uh, you're looking at um, Hachimura in that rotation, Trez, Bertans. Uh, I think the the battle for minutes in the forward and center rotations is going to be worth keeping an eye on because who plays more minutes when Thomas Bryant becomes healthy again? Between Thomas Bryant and Daniel Gafford and Montrezl Harrell, who gets the minutes there? And then on at the four, like you got Bertans, you got 80 mil, right? You got to play him. You brought in Kuzma. He just got paid by the Lakers. He's probably going to be one of your best scores. You got to play him. Does Avdia play the three, only the three? Possibly. Not quite sure about that. Hachimura's got to play. He's a, he's a player with some upside potential going into year three, where he's going to be contract extension eligible after this season. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on the four and five positions for this team. There's going to be some major battles there for minutes. Like I think at guard, it's pretty self. It's pretty straightforward. Like you, you, you go out there and you play Neto, you play Beal, you play Dinwiddie, you play KCP, maybe a little bit of Holiday, and you call it a day, right? But at the forward and center spots, that's where I'm kind of, um, I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes. And then as a follow up to that, how do they get stops? If you go back to last season and you look at their defensive rating. They weren't terrible. I mean, 19th in defensive rating. Uh, that still put their net rating at 22nd out of 30. But for this season, you're looking at Dinwiddie to be up there, try to get stops, not the greatest. Same thing with Beal. Uh, and then a lot of these guys on the inside are question marks when it comes to getting stops. Like That's not Hachimura's calling card. It's not necessarily Gafford's calling card, although he, he can get blocks. Thomas Bryant is probably going to be slow out of the gate. Pertans definitely doesn't do that at a high level. So there's no area on this team uh, that I'm really uh, kind of impressed when it comes to their defense or really expected. KCP and Kuzma are good defenders. After that, who knows? So that's where I have some question marks with this team. I think it's going to limit their ceiling. And that's why I think it's going to put them at the bottom half of playing contention in the East. Like I'd say they're a nine or 10 seed in the East because their defensive capabilities, it doesn't seem like it's going to be all that great to me. So, you know, they're probably going to be somewhere between 17 and 20, something like that. And then if you don't have at least like a top 12 offense to go alongside that, uh, not quite sure how you overcome that lack of defense. So we're going to have to see how that goes in terms of how they kind of balance out these minutes. So they go with more like an offensive minded lineup. Like you, you throw in Dinwiddie Beal, you go with um, Corey to get some shooting out there and then Bertans and Gafford. Maybe I'm, I'm not really sure. Do you go more of the defense? Does KCP close those games for you? Do you have to throw in Kuzma to, to close games? Thomas Bryant, not quite sure. Maybe Hachimura plays down a position, just not quite sure how they kind of sort that all out. So Basically, how I kind of look at these teams when it comes to rankings is like, how many question marks are there? We all know every team has question marks. Every team has issues and holes they have to plug. Which teams have like two or three question marks and which teams have 10? If you have 20, 10 question marks, I don't think you're going to win a ton of games. You're going to win a decent amount of games, maybe not a ton. So the perimeter defense is a question for me, interior defense, and then 
paramount over everything else on this team. This is the most important storyline to follow. How long does Beal stay happy in Washington? How long is Beal willing to put up with near misses when it comes to playoff appearances? Granted, last season, they did make the playoffs barely, barely. I think they had to win two playing games to make it. And they got waxed by the Sixers. Miraculously, they didn't get swept, but they still lost in the first round. It wasn't really even close. So, I mean, Beal is not a spring chicken anymore, guys. He's going into uh, his 10th season in the NBA along with Damian Lillard. Man, I feel like I'm getting old because this dude's about four months older than me. He's about three and a half months older than me. He's 28. I'm going to be 28 in two, uh, next week. See, time's just getting away from me. When you get into your late 20s, I don't care if it's basketball or your career or whatever, other career, things start to change for you. Like when you see 30 kind of like inching closer and closer, you start to reevaluate things. You start to ask yourself, is this enough? Do I need to change some things up? Am I on the right trajectory? And I'm not saying Beal is going to ask out for a trade this season, but I guarantee you, he has some questions flowing around up here. Damian Lillard, the same thing in Portland. Like it's just kind of floating. It's like, is this enough? Is this team good enough? Do I have enough opportunities here? Because he's not in a huge, I mean, he's in a decent sized market. DC is a decent sized market, but you know, the national TV exposure is not really going to be there. The endorsement opportunities are probably going to be less than a really big city. You're not going to win a ton of games. You're not going to be super competitive. Like, what's their best case scenario for this season? The seventh seed, if everything goes right. Uh, for a guy that's a three-time All-Star, All-NBA player, uh, one of the best scores the NBA has to offer, I don't know. Maybe, I think he's looking for something more at this, at this juncture. It's very important to keep this in mind because uh, I'm pretty sure he can sign another extension if he wants to for like another two years. But, you know, he's getting paid $34.5 million this season, and he has a player option next season for 37.2. So realistically, Bradley Beal could be a free agent in 2022 if he decides to be. Are the Wizards going to roll the dice that he hits free agency in bolts? Because this team would be in full-on rebuild mode. They're going to be down there with the Orlando Magic and the Detroit Pistons if he flees the scene. So definitely worth keeping an eye on that. Beal could be on the way out. Whether or not he asks for a trade, I mean, maybe he doesn't ask for a trade because he knows he has one more season on a contract and he can bolt. Maybe that's why he hasn't said anything. So I'm sure as the season progresses, we're going to see more questions presented on his side as well as just people just looking at the situation from the outside in regards to how long he's going to hang around Washington because there's just not a lot going on there. I don't see how they get all that much better. I see some good players. I see some good things there. Um, Wes Unsell Jr. coming in as a new coach, a new voice. There's some good things about this team. They're a good team. But for a guy like Beal, it just seems like good is not going to be good enough forever. So that's all about, about all I got, guys. I thank you for tuning into this podcast. If you're still with me, I appreciate you uh, continuing to listen and check out what I have to say. Working out a guest for part two of this series coming next week, so bear with me. But uh, again, very happy to be a part of the Blue Wire Hustle program. Very happy to be a part of uh, just a lot of great people and great opportunities that hopefully will give me just another outlet, another opportunity to meet people of my podcast game and keep bringing you guys best content possible when it comes to basketball.
So you know where to find us on Twitter if you want to get linked up with us. BC Basketball 2 is going to be the Twitter handle and Instagram handle. Same for both platforms. And then BC Basketball is the website if you want to check us out for blog posts. Got some previews coming in soon. Uh, got on the margins blog post series is going to be ramping up here in the next couple of weeks. So be sure to keep it look out for that. And uh, more great things coming for Business Casual as the season is just around the corner. Preseason's in a few days. Regular season is just a few weeks away. We're almost there, guys. We can do it. Let's just push together a little bit longer. And uh, we're going to be looking at some NBA basketball very soon. So, again, thanks for joining me on this episode. We'll be back next week with part two of the play-in territory preview, season preview tier series. I know that's a mouthful, but I'm excited to bring it to you guys. So, hope to you will join me next week on that installment. But until then, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy this offseason as we inch ever closer to the regular season. And uh, we'll see you on the next installment. So, take care, and uh, we'll see you soon.